You know, we're going to look at a lot of verses today. So if you feel like you have that nice white space under your bulletin, if you have a pen or pencil in front of you, we may not be able to absorb them all, but maybe we can pay attention to them. You know, verses, the idea of having meaningful verses, there is a a little passage of scripture that is very meaningful to me. It's in Romans chapter 10. Some people call them life verses. I'd like to share that with you now because this, this topic is just, it's one of the things that God puts heavy on my heart. It's in Romans chapter 10, starting in verse 13. So if you read this once in a while, say a prayer for me because this is something that's just heavy on my heart. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. What a great verse. And then it kicks ahead for the next couple. But how are they to call on him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without somebody preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. And the idea here of preaching is the, is the telling of. So it's in every context. I share that with you as just a part of my heart and as we open up together today. Let us come before our Lord in prayer one more time. God, we come before you. And we ask that you reveal a vision of your word. We ask that you lift it up high and holy. And we ask, Lord, that you capture our hearts and lead us into your field. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. Here, there, and everywhere, let's kick right off with Acts chapter 1 which is the basis for our discussion. Turn with me to Acts chapter 1, and here is what is recorded for us by Dr. Luke. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. To them he presented himself alive after his sufferings by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You have heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Ladies and gentlemen, friends, God is on a mission trip. We don't always view it this way. Holy other God, complete in himself, created a people that caused him 
to go on the ultimate mission trip. He left heaven to come down here to tell us his story so that we could go back and be with him. That concept, I will admit to you freely, overwhelms me. It encourages me, it breaks me, it does all kinds of things to me. But then when we understand that God in his missions trip has chosen to partner with us, that's when I really start to lose it. Me, us, holy God working with us. I believe that if you take scripture and you sat down and you read it, we would see over and over and over that God's love for a people, people that turn their back on God, you and I and all those that we know, and how he has overcome our obstinance by his love, by his grace, by his mercy. Scripture is the story, his love story for us and what he is about. I'd like to read just a few. Turn with me, if you will, or write it down in First Timothy God explaining through his revealed word, recorded for us and preserved in his scripture. 1 Timothy 1.15, Paul writing to Timothy saying it this, The saying is trustworthy and is deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. God came to save sinners. That's why he came. It's not a part of his mission. It's not an add-on to his mission. It is why he came. 1 Timothy chapter 2. We're going to read seven verses here. First of all then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior. God, our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and man. Can you just see how Paul just can't stop himself? Here's the truth and he just, his pen just keeps going. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. For this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle, I'm telling the truth, I'm not lying. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. Turn with me to the gospel. We were reading in Acts. Let's turn to Luke's gospel. Chapter 19, verse 10. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. You will find more verses. This is what God is about. The reason we still live in time and space and the reason we gather in the month of September here is because God has extended his mission. He has not brought it to an end because of his patience, because of his love. And if we know his truth, we are here with him to proclaim it. You ever heard the saying, begin with the end in mind? It is a really good way to do a project. What are we trying to accomplish? Picture the end and then just work backwards and then you work backwards in your steps and all right, then here's what we need to do. Well, Jesus gives us a lot of examples of what we need to do 
I believe that Jesus led us right off in the first place here. Christ began with the end in mind. Turn with me to Mark chapter 1, just two verses, verses 16 and 17. This is where Jesus is calling the first disciples. So Jesus, passing along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. The first thing he says to them is, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. The whole goal, the end goal for these first disciples is you will become evangelists. You will become fishers of men. You have a business that you're in now. You're fishing for fish. I'm giving you the end here. And then their time with him, their time of learning, their time of teaching, their time of knowledge was clearly to be increased. And Christ spent time with them, preparing them for what he left them with in Mark Chapter 16, verse 15. So he starts with, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And in verse 15 he says to them, so Christ and he says to these disciples, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Begin with the end in mind. And here is where we tend to affirm it. We say, amen, all right, I'm with you so far. And kind of we get lost in the details. Do you believe in evangelism? Amen, and we get a bunch of show of hands. Do you believe that it is the mission that God's on? Yes. Do you believe that we should be about it? Yes. How do we do that today? We need to meet about that this afternoon. 2.30 to 3, we're gonna organize that idea, kind of flesh that out a little bit. We kind of get lost there. Encouraged, in a degree motivated. But stuck. That's why we started last week in verse 8 of chapter 1 of Acts. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So when we think of the end of the earth, it gets kind of big. We're like, that's cool. I was looking at Google Earth this past week, and I'm like, that's, that's pretty neat. And what's kind of cool about it is you can just kind of expand it. You know, you do your nice little finger thing, and you expand it on through, and you get all the way down, and there we are, Fairlawn. There we are, Copley. There we are, Bath, Richfield, Bexville, Canton, Macedonia, wherever you're from. You can see it in there. You're like, okay. The whole thing is a little overwhelming, slightly. Yeah, just some area. It's big. It's like a whole state, you know. But if you get it back down into right here, who's ever sitting next to you in your life, I don't care if you're on a subway, in a cab, I don't care if you're in a lunchroom, that's the here. And that's where we begin. We don't worry about the there. By definition, we can never be there. Wherever there is would become here for us. We only share the gospel here. We just need to make a bunch of here's everywhere. Tracy and Chuck, I love you so much, both of you. Thank you. We need to make a bunch of people going there so it's always here. 
Why does the church struggle with this? The definition of insanity, right? You've heard this maybe a hundred times, doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result. If there are believers and believers for a lifetime, the question I propose to you is, why are there not as many converts as believers? Why not? Let's flesh that out. We're moving our 2.30 meeting up till 10.40 here this morning right now, so you made it. There's a couple of realities that we need to acknowledge. You know, we can never improve unless we acknowledge where we are at. So let me give you a little bit of my view, and this is the world according to Stan, so feel free to disagree. Reality is that we are poor at sharing our faith, and there are some reasons. Number one, we are extremely busy people. If Satan has won anything in our lives, and I'll be the first to admit this, this is a struggle in my life. We're busy. We're busy with work. We're workers. Remember this whole Protestant work ethic thing, you know, right? We're workers. Family. Got to support your family. Got to be there for your family when you're not working to be there with family. And we're often very, very busy with church. And then a bunch of other things. But let's just hit those three. We are busy. We're busy with work. So for the gain of monetary things to provide, much of which is necessary and God commends. We're busy with our families. I submit that we are maybe too busy with our families and we place our families as an idol and we think we forget that God is protecting our families and we think everything we do is the only thing. And our kids these days need more attention from us than almost any generation ever. And then we're busy with church. All good, but just keep it in mind. What else? I think that a lack of awareness, I say it gently, that God's plan is to work through us. It's very easy to think God's going to work and he's going to work through people. I'm so confident. I feel good about that. But is he wanting to work through me? to get his message to the world. A lack of a grasping of that. Afraid. You know, when you're sharing a message, you know, I, I, I live in a world of sales. So it's, it's, you know, it's a little bit of marketing. You know, we've got a message to tell. We have the good news. We have what people need. We want to tell them. But there's this thing called a fear of rejection. I don't like people looking down on me. You don't need to raise your hands, but I bet you there's people here that I don't want to be made fun of. I don't want to get snide remarks to me. I definitely don't want people talking weird about me behind my back. It can create an awkward situation. Here I share something there like, whoa, uh, where do we go from here? Ooh, silence. Fear. Fear of all kinds of things. Fear of a lack of the right thing to say. Lack of the perfect thing. Lack of my knowledge of scripture. I'm afraid at all kinds of levels and fear is stopping a lot of people about telling somebody the simple story that Jesus Christ saved me. One that I feel is heavy is a limited interaction with non-Christians. It's almost like there's some group out there. It is healthy and appropriate, we're not going to get into all this, to spend time with God's people. Healthy and appropriate to do good first to the household of faith. Healthy and appropriate to find some strength 
and to be able to be associated with God's people. Do not forsake the assembling. But if all of our association is with God's people, by definition, we are never going to be sharing the gospel to the lost. Some of us don't even know how to create friendships, real friendships, outside of the church. And I'll put it this way. We've also lost the art, in general, of the social graces, of how to actually converse with somebody we don't know. How to create a commonality with someone who is initially a stranger. There were times and seasons where young people were taught how to create a conversation, how to listen well, how to take interest in the other person, But in our mad dash society where it's me, 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 creating an ability to build a bridge quickly with somebody else is not a skill that is well-possessed. And it is really a laziness about us that we don't take the time and effort to develop the social graces. God puts it underneath the idea of hospitality. So there's lots of reasons You know our mission statement at Lakeside Christian Church, because we have short memories, we decided to use the LCC to love God, care for all peoples, and communicate his word, who he is, the Logos, Jesus Christ. Love God, kind of up in worship, care for all peoples, to the church and to the community, and communicate it. And it's tough sometimes, the last one. Point somebody to the website. Hey, you can hear a message on a website. Here's our website. That's good. I mean, that's helpful. So let's go through it. Because I think sometimes these are helpful, I created an acrostic for us, and it is going to be the word local. L-O-C-A-L. Write it down however you like. If you want to write it sideways, kind of down, and we'll go sideways on it. Local. A few things that may help us understand, and we're also going to get busy in the scripture here. First, L. And by the way, if you look at my notes on this, this might, you might appreciate it. I got a whole bunch of acrostics. I had so many L's and O's and C's. It was hard to narrow them down because God's got so much to tell us. But the L that I chose by God's grace, hopefully, is a living faith. There has to be a living faith. If we are going to witness well locally, we have to have a living faith. I'll give you an example. I'm going to try to use examples as much as I can. Acts chapter 9, 17, Paul being the example Paul, after he had been converted, is going to Ananias. Verse 17, so Ananias departed and entered the house. And laying his hands on him, being Paul, he said, Brother Saul, he was still Saul here, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from Paul's eyes and he regained his sight. Then he arose and was baptized. And taking food, he needed some strength. He was strengthened. For some days, he was with the disciples at Damascus. And immediately, pay attention here, and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, he is the son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, is not this the same man who made havoc in Jerusalem and of those who called upon his name? And has he not come here for the same person purpose to wreak havoc, to bring them bound before the chief priests. But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. What happened? 
What happened? Who's the guy that's coming here to wreak havoc in Jerusalem? Because that's where he was at. He was contrary to the gospel. He was trying to destroy anybody who was in the gospel who's proclaiming Jesus. And something happened. What happened was he was converted. And Jesus Christ took a hold of him. And his hope became real. He had a dark hope. He didn't even, know, didn't even know what he believed. He was crucifying the Christ himself. And when his faith came alive, he went from death to life. And a living faith is a real faith, and it will burst forth. And Paul immediately ran to the synagogue, and he began teaching. He spent a couple of days learning, checking up with the disciples, and then he goes forward. John chapter 15, we won't read it. One of my favorite passages But get this idea down. John chapter 15, kind of in the first part of it, maybe 5 through 10 is where it's quoted. This idea, it says, you will bear much fruit. I'm the vine, you're the branches. If you you abide in me, you will bear much fruit. If we are grounded in Jesus Christ and his Holy Spirit has its way with us, God had built no other faith than a living faith. So before we ever run off to give something, we can only give that which we possess. So I encourage each and every one of us, instead of sitting there first and thinking about how can I evangelize and where I go, the first L is it's a living faith. We need to get in our word. We need to abide in Jesus Christ and let him fill us with his spirit. We need to obtain and then abide. So what is O? We define O as being opportunistic. I'd like to read for you a familiar story. You'll know it right away in Luke chapter 19. Jesus and Zacchaeus. Follow along with me if you like or just listen. He entered Jericho, meaning Jesus, and was passing through. Just passing through. You ever been passing through anywhere? Passing through? There was a man named Zacchaeus, and he was a chief tax collector and was rich, and he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not, because he was small of stature. So he ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to that place, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and he came down and received him joyfully. When they saw it, they all grumbled. He, was gone, he has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Christ was very flexible. We can talk all about the theology here of Christ having foreknowledge and how he knew his name and he knew about him and all of that. It's all well and good. What we can learn from this story is when Christ is on his way and Zacchaeus is up in a tree, we may have walked by, we may have seen somebody up in a tree looking down on us. When you see somebody climb up a tree to look down to try to see you, you might think that they want to see you. There's a few things you can infer from that. They're interested in what you're doing. It wouldn't be so bad to say, hey you, what's your name? I just wanted to see you. Why? Who are you? I'm the chief tax collector. Okay, that tells me a lot. What are you doing for lunch? I'm sure plenty of people had plans for I mean, People were following, had an agenda. We've got to go here. We've got to go here. We've got to see this Pharisee here and this Sadducee here. We've got to go. Zacchaeus is not on our plan. Christ was on his way 
opportunistic. Friends, I believe that we need to pray about where we are at because where we are at is where God wants us at that moment. We would be somewhere else if we are not. And the people around us are the people that God has put around us or has allowed to be around us. And if we're praying in the spirit, I believe that there are tens and hundreds of opportunities to share the gospel if we are opportunistic. If we are opportunistic. Are we sociable? Are we aware of what is going on? Are we involved? I was thinking about this. You know, we go through life a lot of times, and we're like, I just didn't have an opportunity to share my faith. It just doesn't seem to happen for me. And because I love sports, I'm like, yo, there's this analogy was brewing in my head, and I couldn't think about it. And then we were watching a little bit of football. I said, that's it. It's like this quarterback. Could you imagine a Christian? Let's say the Christian now is the quarterback, all right? So here we are. The Christian is a quarterback, and they call a pass play, and the quarterback goes back. Nobody looks open, comes back, then, you know, took the sack. And you go through a whole game, and let's say the quarterback never throws the ball. What are you doing? You're the quarterback. We're asking for you to throw the ball. Didn't look that good out there. My line of sight was a little bit off. I was a little bit busy Friday night. I only looked at the playbook for a half hour. But I am a quarterback, and I'm going to throw that ball as soon as everything's just right. When the defenders are laying down, the wide receiver's laying open, I don't know what else would have to happen. Then I might throw the ball. I forget which famous person said, said you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. It is not our job to be perfect. It's not even our job not to throw an interception. It's not our job to throw a 65-mile-an-hour John Elway or Brett Favre throw that can rocket. It is our job to throw the ball. Our lack of throwing says a lot about us, but it says a lot about us and our faith on who is carrying the ball. Because we convert nobody. God just wants us in the game. Opportunistic. They would teach you some of these things at places like Moody and other places early on, especially even the last 1,500 years. The idea of before you really want to be in this community, read the newspaper, pay attention, know a little bit about what's going on. If everyone wants to talk to you and you don't know it, I didn't know that. No, I did not know we have an election coming up. No, I didn't know. I couldn't name you the sport teams in town. No, I have no idea who's on the top 40 charts. If we don't know anything about anything, sometimes they may not believe that we know anything about who Jesus Christ is and why he is Lord and Savior. The pendulum on that is we need to know Christ and him first and abide in him. Remember the uh, living faith? But if we're not sociable, if we're not interactive, marketing, they would teach you, you know, be where the market is. Let's create the opportunities by being in places where people need to hear about Jesus Christ and being able to relate to them. I use this only as an example. Please take it in the spirit it's attended. Andy and I happened to be at the Sapphire Ball last night. It's a, it's a pretty heavy-duty ball, uh, one of the big fundraisers, charity events, kind of the, the whole black tie thing. 700 people at John S. Knight Center. If you want to talk details, we will. But there were multiple situations last night where... All we were talking about was Jesus Christ. 
There was a situation where it's kind of a surreal experience where all the tables were done and they had all the ice sculptures and all of this. And Annie, Annie does a good job with this. I mean, she says, hey, Stan, there's two people we know over there at that table. You need to go say hi to them. It always helps when a wife is watching out for you. Like, you know what? They know you're here, and if you don't say hi to them, they might feel a little hurt. It's hard to share the gospel with people when they get hurt at you. You might go over there. So here we are. I'm kneeling there and these two people there. And all of a sudden, we're talking about broken marriages. We're talking about Buddha. We're talking about meditation. We're talking about Christ. It's right there. Everything's happening. I'll give you one of the techniques, friends, that I think is important. This is not about me. This is just sharing. We listened. I probably was on my knee listening to spirituality, meditation, yoga, Buddha for seven, eight, nine minutes. If you're in a ball with black tie ball on your knees around with waiters, that's a long time. Trust me. It feels like an eternity. One of the keys is listening and saying, I hear you. I can understand. And I mean this. It's got to be sincere. I can understand why you say that. Spirituality is important. Oh, if we could meditate more. Think, clear our minds. But tell me, why do you think meditation on Buddha? What are you meditating on? I want to know. So most of our conversation was, I want to know what you think. You are a very intelligent, wonderful, kind person. I want to know. And friends, if we can't get sincere about that, we will have a very hard time. They may likely be smarter than I am, more spiritual in a way, and not know Jesus Christ. Our social graces includes not a condescending discussion, throwing the Bible at them. Here, this is what you need. They need Jesus, and they need him the way Jesus presented himself to the lost. Opportunistic, wherever you're at, there is an opportunity. Make it happen. C. C is for Christ. Sometimes when we're evangelizing, we think that it is about the church. It is very, very healthy to invite people to church. Obviously, when we invite believers to church, that is wonderful and gracious. And if God wants to use that, we will. And we say amen. But we cannot mistake this idea of sharing the gospel is sharing about our church. It is about sharing Jesus Christ. And by God's grace, our church is about that. And they will find that when they're there. But we are not sharing about our church. We are sharing about Christ. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians 15. This is it. When you're sharing the gospel, the C, which put in L-O-C-A-L, the C in the middle, it's Christ. Everything is about Christ. We've got to get to Christ quickly. Here's what Paul says to the Corinthian church. Here's how he does it. Now I will remind you, brothers, of the gospel that I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast the word I preached to you, unless you believe in vain. And here we go. This is what you could share briefly. For I delivered to you as of the first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins, that this person who was alive in Jerusalem died for our sins in accordance with what the scriptures said. For us, that would be the Old Testament, the First Testament. That he was buried, that people saw him, that he was raised on the third day in accordance 
with the prophecies of Scripture, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve, and then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James and then to all the apostles. And last of all, as to one untimely board, he appeared also to me, for I am the least of the apostles and unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church. So what is God telling us here? Two things. Sometimes we leave out the second part. Yes, we're saying that Jesus Christ died for our sins. And we say that to people and they say, okay, I know that. I've heard you all say that. Yeah, and other people say the opposite. Or other people say it's one mountain. There's a lot of ways to get up to that mountain. But what did Paul do when he was sharing his faith? Briefly, just a couple verses. This is only a couple sentences. Jesus is the Christ who died for our sins. And let me give you the quick proof text. He's a real person who was alive. He was a real person who died. He was a real person who resurrected just like the prophecies say. And then he appeared to Peter and then he appeared here and then he appeared to 500 and then he appeared to me. We saw him. A bunch of skeptics, a bunch of people who wanted to kill him and that did kill him have changed their mind. This is not a bunch of people just like, oh, let's just follow this idea. It's a bunch of people that changed their mind. Why? Sharing the gospel about Jesus Christ is not only sharing Jesus Christ died for your sins. Let me tell you why I believe that. You can't reason your way into faith, but it is not a faith without reason. When we share the gospel, share the gospel about Christ and why it's Christ. He is God, and he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. And how did he prove it? Right here. And that stands alone. Adaptable. A. Flexible. Conversational. Respectful. Go where the market is. We talked about this already in a little bit of length. I combined the opportunistic, the Zacchaeus idea. What's in front of us is where our opportunity is. But I do want to just hit for you again this idea of being adaptable. If you want to be heard, you need to listen. If I want to have influence, I need to be a respecter. I need to be somebody who lifts up. In the conversation, I'll give you again, give me grace because one of these, hopefully we're just sharing Andy got a text this morning from one of the ladies and things were a little bit challenged last night for them personally and got a text this morning saying, oh, I'm so humiliated, I'm so this and this and this and all this stuff. And the text back, were, you know, just encouraging texts, just encouraging. That creates an opportunity to show, hey, we've all had a bad night. I really believe that's what Christ would do. This is not time to kick somebody when they're down, not to say, yeah, whoo-hoo, whoa. I need to distance myself from you. That was a little inappropriate. You don't think they know that? That's why they're texting in the morning. What would Christ do? You're talking about somebody who is in a general sense repentant, a general sense hurting, general sense broken. That to me sounds like somebody who can need some love and the love of Jesus Christ. That sounds like an opportunity. And if maybe, if we've made a mistake, maybe we've made a mistake that we're here this morning and we have an obligation, but that we're not there. How many of us have maybe passed somebody on the side of a road who's hurting on the way to church because got to go to church as opposed to doing the church's work? Adaptable, flexible. 
Go where the people are. Communicate in a way that people hear. If we get it going over here, I'm all about sending it out on Twitter. Let's do it if it helps. But people are fundamentally relational. And we're going to conclude with this. Loving the lost. Loving the lost. Here's the way Jesus put it when he was launching his ministry in Luke chapter 4. And Jesus came to Nazareth where he had been, verse 16, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. And he unrolled the scroll and he found the place where it was written. And Jesus read this, referring back to what was prophesied about him in the book of Isaiah. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus wept at the idea of Israel. Jesus was brokenhearted for the lost. His Holy Spirit is on a mission because it is in love with a broken world and it wants to restore sight to the blind, ability to walk to the lame and open the doors of captivity to those who are held captive. Friends, when we see, when we look out there, are we seeing people who are where they deserve to be? They've chosen to be there and let them go? Or are we asking the Lord for his compassion? for a brokenness, for a love, a compassion for this world that moves us. I will grant you that it cannot be generated. And so you know what? I'm going to be more compassionate Tuesday. That's what I'm going to decide to do. Starting about 9.30 because I'll be a little busy before then. But 9.30, you watch me be compassionate. You can try that. That'll last for about seven minutes. I want to be compassionate. I'm not feeling it. We can't manufacture it. Just because we can't manufacture our salvation that repentance, that godly sorrow that only comes from God is drawing and we're responders. We can only respond to the call. And the call, remember, go back to the beginning, a living faith and abiding faith, abiding in him. If we are not in his word, if we are not worshiping with him, if we are not about our father's business, we're like, I'd like to be about my father's business. I just don't really feel like it. So I'm waiting the Lord to make me feel like it. Brothers, it's a tough, sisters, it's a tough circle. We need to be broken for this world. We need to be poured out. We need to be exhausted, if you will, for God's work, not for our own life. A living faith, an opportunistic faith, Christ as the core, adaptable in all ways, and loving the lost. Let's pray together. Dear Lord, it is our prayer and it is our belief that you want to do big things, that you want to bring a world to you, that you want to bring this world to you, that you want to bring this community and that you've allowed Lakeside Christian Church and the believers that are here, whether members, attenders, friends, whatever, Lord, listening 
on the internet, whatever, Lord, that you want to work with us. Lord, we believe that miracles are still happening, that people are being born again, that you are using broken vessels to proclaim your great word. We ask you, Lord, to work in us, to mold us, to shape us, to be about your business. You left us here because you had confidence that in your Holy Spirit we could perform the work and nothing would be left undone. I ask you, Lord, to let that work in my heart individually that I may be your servant and that others may be saved by your grace through a vessel that is yours. In Jesus' name we pray and confidently moving forward, amen.